0: From Yoga Ayurveda Living, I am Kelly Marie Mills, and this is The Dosha Life, a podcast for wellness seekers, happiness curators, and those interested in tools, tips, and secrets coming from the wisdom of yoga and Ayurveda. Welcome to my happy place. This is Series 8, Episode 2, Eating Secrets. We begin with sweetness. There is nothing more appreciated than something truly sweet offered and given to us. It is the primary necessity after the moment of our birth, the sweetness of our mother's touch, the drink of mother's milk, the warmth and stability that comes from being held and swaddled. We are now setting into some of the most applicable and life-enhancing wisdom. But remember, small doses help to increase your chances of digesting this so you can use it. So here we go. I'm going to do my best to make it more applicable, more practical, and probably the practicality will come in the later episodes. But you do need this background so you can understand how the application will work. So it's kind of like a duo thing, feel f- like, obviously feel free, you know, because they are free and you can choose what you do, but, <laughs> but it's just that feel free to go and check back with the podcast and I'll try and make the headings much clearer. That's another job, another job that I have to do so that you can understand which ones you really need. This week, we pop into the six tastes of Ayurveda with Sweetness. So it's madhura. And madhura is the formative foundational taste. So it's the taste that sets the grounding and strengthening of all other datu or all other cells. It is the building block for everything in the body, everything in the material body. Ayurveda knows that the sweet taste, this neutral taste, is a necessary part of stabilizing the body. Without it, vata is going to be absolutely unstable bananas, even more than normal. And its creativity will go through the roof and probably turn quite dark. Or probably turn so spacious that it's not even understandable. And that for pitta and kapha, without the sweet taste, they wouldn't have the ability to power up, move forward, and also wouldn't have the power to power down because they need that nutritional storage. All all the doshas need the nutritional storage racks ready to be used. It is this sweet t- taste is demulcent, so it means that it's soothing and cooling. It doesn't mean it's cold, so so mind that it's cooling and cooling just to let you know, and reminding you really, is related to kapha dosha. So it can counter and balance burning sensations. So if you think of the remedy for eating jalapenos, it's to drink milk or some type of yogurt, something like that. It's that demulcent effect that dairy has. So sweet is also a little bit of a laxative action or expectorant because it is, quote, heavy and earthy, and damp, and water." Unquote. It's, that's what sweet is. It's, it's heavy because of earth, and a damp because of water, because those are the two elements that it is a blend of. Sweetness is certainly the one taste we cannot toss aside, and I, I really want to focus on that because the modern world often tells us that we have far too much of it because the modern world has, um, has kind of taken apart some of what the neutral taste means, uh, what the sweet taste means, as in it's moved carbs and, and proteins away from each other, which are both very supportive to the body. But what we have to remember is that anything, anything in excess is not good for us. You know what I'm saying? It's like, even if you absolutely adore ginger and you know it's really good to help balance your digestion, too much ginger root in your food will set fire to the embers in your digestive power, and making that a problem that no one needs and no one deserves. Each of the six tastes has different power to unbalance or aggravate, so they 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 do the same thing those two those two verbs they do the same same thing unbalance and aggravate mean that they they make the doshas get higher get bigger get louder more dominant and we use the word aggravate in a lot a lot in ayurvedic medicine it's a word to describe food relationships but i mean of course sometimes aggravate means it gets hotter which I think a lot of people can relate to but it also makes it stronger and that's true too but in an ayurvedic idea with the doshas and we're talking about digestion aggravating the digestive power can mean also weakening it I know I'm blowing your mind but how about we just go into this with it like a really open mind of okay aggravation if I aggravate my digestive power, what would happen? As much as for any other type, it could mean making it hotter, and it could mean making the digestive power weaker. But there is one taste that has the best chance of changing how our system works, and that's bitter. Because even in small amounts, it is a reducing cold taste. So just remember that even if you get home and you after your walk and you go and write it down, bitter taste is a reducing cold taste. And we go on to bitter later on in the series. As much as we may take excess for some tastes quite easily, for others we are completely lacking in most mo- modern Western households. And this is a huge digestive blunder. And I feel a lot of it is just lack of knowledge. And even when we get the knowledge, we don't know what to do with the knowledge. And, and when we get to learn how to use the, the knowledge, we're not sure how it applies. And we, ha- we find it hard to implement it. And then, of course, naturally, we, we would drop it all together because it's just causing too much energy to try and sustain it. And this is what I'm trying to do with this series. Sweet is supported by earth and water, and yes, if you recall, you have heard that blend before. It's like kapha dosha, but it's basically proteins, carbs, sugars, and oils. They are all a part of this sweet or neutral category coming under the heading of the Ayurveda six tastes of life, and we should have all of them at each and every meal. Vegetables and legumes have other stronger tastes in them, like astringency too, so some of them have a duo taste, but once they are supportive, know that you are including a sweet taste in your meal. We need to remember, and, I, and I'll probably say it throughout the series, is that each taste has two different basic elements, just like the doshas. They are all made of the five great elements, the five butas, and These elements are space, air, fire, earth, water. Because of this, it helps us understand how we can eat to be healthy, or even better, exactly what we can eat to get sick. (laughs) So you know what I mean? So we learn what tastes are similar to our own dosha, and when we learn that, like increases like, Equals unbalance, imbalance, or aggravation. Then we understand that that will make us feel unwell or make us feel balanced, depending on what we do. So, for an example, take cheese. So I, I know I always take cheese. I seem to focus on cheese an awful lot. I, I you know, it's just a part of a part of my kapha dosha. So take cheese, yummy cheese. Oh God, I had a lot of cheese this summer. Actually, I mean. I just kind of lost the plot for a while after COVID, and it took me weeks, six weeks to get over COVID. But anyway, that's just my personal journey with COVID, or as they say, with the COVID. Take cheese. It has the same elements, earth and water, as the kapha dosha. So cheese, without a doubt, will set anyone that has kapha dosha more dominant in their body, it will set it into excess phlegm, congestion, or stagnation, or inertia. And foods opposite to our dosha elements, like bitter and astringent, which are really the greens at the end of our meal, this will help to reduce or balance kapha dosha problems. That doesn't mean, (laughs) I know I'm making that sound funny, that doesn't mean that you can go and eat a whole bucket of fried brie with red currant jam and a salad after it to balance out all the bucket of cheese you just had that was melted and gooey and sitting in your tummy just warming you up and making you feel amazing with a small glass of white wine actually you might want red red is good with cheese too but anyway so that you know that that we're not saying to do that but actually it can help to rebalance it as long as you're eating in in moderation You know, this sort of thing of you have plenty of time to understand all of this, and it's good to touch in on how these ideas can open out and flower for you until at least the idea sets root in your system a little bit more. So, we do have to slip momentarily back into the beginning of Ayurveda. The secret to this medicine is, as I have already said and will say it again, like increases like and opposites reduce. Meaning, if you're a dominant, Kapha type, and you have a kapha imbalance, or you tend towards kapha imbalances. This shows more than likely, kapha types food will increase or aggravate your system. They will put you out of balance. They could just make you feel unwell for a short while, or they could make you feel unwell for a long long while. You also may find that you are more attracted to sweet tastes, more attracted to The sugary things, more attracted to the things that give comfort, like, you know, baked potatoes or those sort of things that you grew up with. So that's a real kapha thing. But they will tend to mess you up if you eat them to excess, more than you actually need them. And their imbalance will show if it's a kapha problem, as excess phlegm, edema, congestion. You might even notice the energy drops. There's a heaviness after eating in the digestion. And one thing, if you do eat a lot of kapha-type foods, it's not so easy to wake up in the morning. The other thing is the timing of, of meals too. And that's why Ayurveda, and, and you'll, you're seeing it a lot all over the world now that people are saying to have your, your biggest meal Well, sorry, the last time you should eat around 7 p.m. And Ayurveda, we'd even push it to 6 to 7 um, because it gives plenty of time for the digestion to happen, for um, vata to release, and, and then for kapha to do the maintenance of the digestion. One of the signs of larger imbalances for any dosha is that you find that you can't digest certain things anymore like you could. So if you get that feeling early on, it's a really good idea to begin to look at your digestive system. You know, it's like, are you able to digest bread? So if I could talk about bread, I would say that most of us eat it every day. Are you vedically that? It's just a big no-no. It's just a non-runner. It's not something to do on a regular basis. Bread is really hard to digest. The only bread that... I do say is okay and it's not just me but other other Ayurvedic people is kind of your own homemade wholemeal bread really good rustic bread um nothing with white flour so I'm talking about the brown browns um and you know it's sort of like the Darina Allen that bread that you could just do in one big fell swoop that type of real proper wholemeal bread and that's because it, it's nice and slow. It's, it's also low GI, so it, it kind of helps to um, fill the kapha types easier, and then digest digestion takes a little bit longer because the food is so natural. Whereas the flowers that are that are strongly refined, they they are harder for the body to work on and work through and use as energy or for the doshas to actually be supported with. So when someone comes in to me for digestion and agony and nutrition, one of the first things you're going to be asked is to try and remove breads. And, you know, that can upset some people. And, and it's not like a hard fast rule because Ayurveda doesn't do hard fast rules. They do in Panchakarma. But basically when you're coming in for nutrition and lifestyle, you're trying to really begin to develop a deep awareness. And it's like a year process. You know, it's not like suddenly you're going to say, okay, I'm going to go off this forever. Um, Only a pizza type would say that anyway. But your intention is that you would remove certain things, stay off them for about three months, and then you can start to add them in again and see if they work for your body. You just What we try and do with Ayurveda is give the digestion a break from certain foods. It's as if we're going back into seasonal eating, which is so good for the body because it makes the body find the nutritional aspects that it needs in foods but if we're eating the same favorite foods all the time can you see how the body might just say okay this is really like I'm so used to eating this that it's just too easy and then if you have like a pitta problem and you're eating lots of strawberries and lots of berries in itself, and lots of citrus, and all these things that are higher in citrus, then you're going to actually create more acid in the pitta type, and this acid will disrupt your digestive power and make it hotter, and that, that kind of natural acid from fruits can actually disrupt the pitta type. It's like having lemon, all the time is astringent and sour and this will this will really upset pizza. Especially if you're doing it like for years. Lots of people put lemon in their water for years not knowing why they have a little bit of a skin rash or not knowing why they have, you know, some sort of heartburn sensations. And then you say, Well take the lemon out of your water if you're using it don't use it in the morning just stay off it for a few months and see if you can add it in as an additive not as something that you need every single day okay so bringing all of the tastes into our meals promotes sattva ah you guys know I love sattva and it's it's just like the best word we could ever have in our lives so it's it's harmony It's like what we all really want in our lives is sattva. And you can say, I want a harmonious life. I want a balanced life. You're saying you want sattva. Sattva is unity within all things. It is balance. It is finding your natural rhythm. And it's not about success. It's not about failure. It's about sitting with all things and finding balance within it. So it's sitting in the tumult of a tornado, and finding balance within that, that this is, this is this moment. So you could consider it the way mindfulness works, you know, that they, that we remain open to all things, and yet we remain here, so we are not swayed by anything, and so this is promoting sattva, this practice of mindfulness. With sattva in one hand, the other hand comes ahimsa, which is non-harming. And you know I'm also all about ahimsa. And a life of ahimsa leads us definitely into sattva quite easily. But ahimsa is not so easy, because ahimsa is not just what we eat. And one of the most curious things I have found over the last while is that um, <laughs> I'm blaming everything on COVID, but that my tendency is to eat much more than I need. So for me, that's very new, uh, or, or actually, it's not new. It's a very old thing that has come back with a vengeance. Um, and that wouldn't surprise me because COVID kind of knocked me flat. Um, and, and I wasn't actually extremely sick, but I was knocked out And then it took, like, all that time to get better. And I found that I was just really comfort eating. I was going back to all those old things, those those things that I would have leaned on. And that's why I was talking about mashed potatoes, actually, because it was, like, potatoes that I was looking for. Because one of my favorite foods was um, potatoes and gravy. I didn't get the gravy this time. But as we use ahimsa and sattva, it helps us to return toward a kinder and warmer view of what do we really want now? As we bring our hand out towards a lemon or an apple. When apple or pear is kinder to the body in the end than a lemon, but a lemon we may need for our dosha balance. So for, for kaphas, it can be a good thing. And for a pitta, it could be something that would aggravate us. Often, you know, we all know this that the short, easy route. Could lead us away from our hopes and dreams, and a route less known tends to support our deepest driving desires and takes us to where we didn't even know we were heading. And just um to say that if I mention diet in this series, and I probably will because it's like you know such a word in the modern world, I mean diet as in to eat to support body, mind, and soul. And in the modern world, I think the word diet is often based on a format about trying to correct the weight of the body. Diet in Ayurveda is not always about the weight of the body. And I say not always because sometimes it can be about excess weight in the body, but not often. It's more often about coming to your natural rhythm and meeting food with a healthy, mindful approach And that mindful approach comes from knowing non-harming and seeking sattva. And so when I've started to turn back in towards this, leaving behind a lot of the stuff that I had been moving into after COVID, and now I'm finding once again that I'm finding more balance in my meals. I'm once again cooking better for my body, mind type. And using a more mindful approach of really trying to chew my food better and slow down my meals and plan my meals ahead. And when I do this, then I'm supporting my dharma or my gifted path of service that leads into my true happiness. And that's what this can offer all of us, that as you meet food with a healthy approach, you begin to support your own dharma and your own gifts and path of service will lead to your happiness. Sweet is the modern term for the neutral taste, just to add that in. If you think of um, rice or couscous or barley or meat, um, when you first place it in your mouth, there is a sweet taste to it. And so that's why, um, you know, last week's homework was to Discover the tastes in your tongue, and that that first hit is actually sweet, and then you get all the other flavors adding to it. When we have certain diseases, it's often our inability to to, to digest the certain tastes. So consider um, well, you can consider it any doshas, disease types, and Kapha has less disease types, but their tendency is mainly about their inability to digest sugars, as in neutral tastes. So it's only some tastes, sorry, it's only some sugars or some neutral tastes that kapha can't deal with. Kapha types then, because they they want to have the sugars to help support them, they often eat the wrong one. And then they can't digest that either. And the more then because they're not able to digest even the very good neutral tastes, like the real supportive ones, then the more they eat of them, the worse they feel, because the excess sweetness is left in the body looking for a way to be digested, so it often ends up as ama, or undigested food, like little tiny weeny weeny morsels of food left in the digestive system that eventually disrupt the digestive system, and move out into the body as imbalance. And that is how a craving begins, through undigestive food sources from one dosha or the other. And if we cannot digest one of the six tastes, we often crave them. What we really need to do here is heal the dosha that is wounded so it can digest the taste that it requires properly. And that's why we seek to heal the agony, the digestive power. And then we heal the part of the mind connection too. So for kapha, its sweetness is related to attachment, to fear, and love. And you see, this is how it feels like it gets complicated. But I want you to just let it move through your mind and really just ease into it and let it flower because they're big, strong, proven methods. You know, this is a science. It's not like some airy-fairy, floaty-woaty sort of thing. This, These amazing people, thousands of years ago, worked this out. And they worked these things out to help All of us, and I'm sure because they had this expansive attitude of trust, they knew that it would carry on for years and years. So the homework this week, I'm pretty sure you might have twigged some of it. How about investigating a non-harming attitude? I do believe that non-harming is less about not doing something and more about doing something if you know what I mean. We can often think a non-harming attitude is to not say this or that, but actually is to say something else rather than to say perhaps, oh, don't wear your hair like that. How about saying, your hair is beautiful that way, just as it is. And what does a non-harming attitude mean to you. It's a really good thing to journal on or contemplate as you walk. And you will see in your mind all of the things popping up. Especially as we move through this world where there is a lot of harm moving around. It's that initial inquiry that sets us outside of ourselves. But we need to stall the pony here and bring it back to the self. And what about how you treat yourself? Are you a bit judgy? Are you a bit critical? Are you a bit nonchalant or complacent? Sometimes do you feel less than others? Sometimes you feel more than others? Is there any inver- inner conversation that brings you back to being less than equal to all those you hold in your life and outside of your life? What if we took any thoughts that no longer serve us and put them on pause for a while? We can't really throw them out, I do believe that all these thoughts are a part of our being. They have come from somewhere. And we need to support them. But we can press pause. And as we do that, we let them stew. We let them brew. We let them come in and out of our consciousness. And we begin to understand that that they want to be heard. These thoughts want to be seen. But I do believe that there is a good timing for this type of work. Non-harming is a radical act of love and kindness to ourselves. It is a very hard practice, but it is the beginning, no matter how you begin. To look after yourself. Non-harming is a big part of it. It means a little bit more than what we initially think. It is totally so much the practice of self-care, such as setting clear boundaries, allowing work to be work, and making time for enjoyment, creating solid daily routines that can support our body and mind balance. It is the beginning of really caring about how we are doing now. Putting our self-care first translates as standing up for ourselves, like we would for our friends and our family. Non-harming is respecting our own needs as much as the needs of others and finding the discernment for which we must do first, look after others or the self, depending on where we, where we stand on that day. This non-harming gives us a much better viewpoint of how we can care for others. Rather than being enmeshed in other people's karma, we stand and evolve our own karma. We stand and evolve with sattva, Non-harming helps to develop awareness around our hunger, our appetite, our cravings. It is a non-judgmental attitude of self-study. And it's also a chance to look at what we eat and the way we eat, who we eat with, where we eat, why we eat, how we eat. Of course, for me, you guys have heard it before. I have discovered that eating as fast as I do makes me feel feel over full and uncomfortable. So it is a sense of harming. The discomfort has made me review why I am rushing and makes me pause to see am I chewing as much as I can to help my digestive system. Obviously not, if I'm feeling really super full after I've eaten. And it's also the amount that I eat. So I have a lot of work to do to slow down my eating so that I can enjoy the meal as a part of reconnecting with the daily sacred. Is there something you need to do to reconnect into your daily sacred? And like I said, non-harming increases our gentle absorption into sattva, our own state of harmony and balance. Your next part of your homework is to meet the neutral taste or the sweet taste, that of support and the foundational elements of this material body. And I'm going to ask you to play with it a bit because there's a few things I'm going to list off. And there's lots of options. But I want everyone to really, most of all, begin to explore the use of grains in your life. There's loads of reasons to change our grains up. But mostly it's about learning that we can enjoy other types of grains so that the body is supported in the best way possible through variation like back in the old days when we had seasonal foods. It's really good for the body to look for nourishment in its food so that the natural body intelligence is awakened and becomes curious and regains a better appetite for foods that fill out all of the six tastes. So for vata and or vata problems, wheat is best. But I want to encourage all of us to come out of our comfort zone and come into enjoying the different grains. So what is good for vata are grains of couscous, oats, and basmati rice, white or brown. And for pitta, what is best is wheat. And again, same thing. We want to come away from wheat because most of us eat it way too much. And check out barley, granola, which I would say make your own and find a nice recipe for that. Couscous, oats, basmati, rice, especially white, and not so much brown because brown, if we have it on a regular basis for a while, It's actually heating in the body. Its long-term effect is heating. And then for kapha, as we know, they don't need so many grains because they're earthy already. They have that deep and heavy earth element within their whole system. So what is okay for kapha is the ones that have the long-term effect of warming, which only comes from a few, the amaranth, the buckwheat, and millet. And I have yet to work with amaranth. I have tried buckwheat, but I want to use that a lot more because I kind of like its nutty taste. And millet I use in soups. But after those, then try small small portions of barley, which is always good, cornmeal, and granola and muesli. So there we go. Plenty to digest, plenty of grains, but don't just have grains for your meals. You know, spice it up, add Coriander, cumin, fennel, add a bit of a pinch of salt, some ginger, a little bit of some spiciness somewhere, and then at the end, a squirt of lemon juice. Oh, making me hungry already. Our digestion relates so much to our inner balance and our ability to di- digest our life. And eating too little and eating too much both interfere with our deep satisfaction of balance. So, learning what sweet tastes can help regulate our homeostasis can help us feel less hungry and more fulfilled. And when we find that, we find that our mind too becomes less outward seeking during its rest, and that our lives become much more fulfilled as we begin to live from the inside out again, beginning to feel whole and sated, satiated, and fulfilled. In every way. So the sweet taste has the possibility of increasing kapha-related problems, which can weaken the spleen and increase the likelihood of hypoglycemia or diabetes. Yikes! And that's why a sugar cleanse is a really good thing to do twice a year, minimum. So connect with me for more details on the upcoming sadhana event, which is and includes a sugar cleanse. I look forward to walking with you again. To support the podcast, please like and follow and give me a rating or review. Secret. Sweetness. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) I haven't done this in so long I forget how to do it. (laughs) How many months later is this and I'm like, oh my God. Okay, so here we go again. (laughs) wait a minute (laughs) I can't even get the name of it right okay